guys can be seated. Amen and amen. Thank you all so much. Woohoo! Man, I'm telling you, what's going on? How y'all doing? I feel short next to this microphone. Don't I? I just feel so short next to it. What's going on? What's up, Barefooted Joe? Y'all wonder why they're always barefooted? Have y'all ever wondered why? I, I, I'm being honest. It's the coolest thing in the world because they really believe that they're on holy ground and that's why they take their shoes off. I don't take mine off because I probably got holes in my sock and my feet smell. But other than that, I mean, I'm just glad. Hey, Happy New Year. Hey, isn't it an exciting new year for some people? Yeah, I heard about y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so I'm just excited about this new year and all that's going on. I mean, think about it. Some of you have got birthdays that you're excited about. Is that, is that, hey, yes, I, I was thinking I don't remember 15. When some of you don't remember 15, but it's a great time. It's a new year, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and I'm so excited about the word that the Lord, the best thing I understand the Holy Spirit that he's given me to give to you, and, and I really believe this is for us this year, what God would have us to do. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're just going to see what the word of God says about this new year and what he would have us to do. And again, I am just so excited about what I think God is going to do. Last year, the Lord gave me a word. It was called the year of decrease. And it was based on where John the Baptist said, you know, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And so literally for some of us last year, it was a decrease for us in in a lot of different ways. And really what the, the meaning behind that was is that Jesus wanted to be first and foremost and not us. But this year, the Lord, he gave me this Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago, and I've been, I'm, I'm terrible at secrets. Are y'all good at secrets? Are you, oh, you're bad at it. I am terrible at secrets. Uh, don't tell me a secret, because uh, I, I, especially if it's about food or if it's a gift, it's, I, I have trouble because I get so excited. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to give you a little bit of this backdrop before we stand and, and we honor the Lord in the reading of his word. Paul, in this letter, you've you got to wrap your mind around this because it makes it so clear. Paul in 1 Corinthians has been telling this church at Corinth, which is a lot like Charleston which is a lot like a Charleston city. They had everything there. and A lot of temples, a lot of things going on. In fact, there was so much meat in the market. The majority of the meat in the market was sacrificed to idols. Uh, they would, they would, all these people would bring their, their meat into these temples. And of course, the priest and, and what they would sacrifice couldn't use but so much. So they would take the meat and they would go back out to the market and they would resell the meat. So when you would walk down the markets, this open-air market in Corinth, there would be meat galore everywhere. And of course, being Christians, you would walk in and go, man, a lot of that was already offered to idols. And, and there was just this pantheon of all different types of gods. And, and it was just an eclectic city. Prostitution was rent. I mean, it was wild, wild place. But yet God was doing a mighty work. But the church was disorganized. And so what happened was Paul kind of gets on a little bit and says, you've got to get right you got to get right and it kind of lays out for them what they need to do. So then what happens after that? Paul is writing them and encouraging them in his next letter. And he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to get it right. Now, some scholars believe there was a third letter and one's lost and all this stuff. And whether 2 Corinthians was a third letter and all this. Regardless of all that, the bottom line is this. Paul's trying to encourage them. And he's trying to encourage them to walk in the Lord. And this is what God would have us to do this year. I'm telling you, it's burning in my heart. I believe with all my heart that the Lord showed me and wants me to share with you. 
Now, many people deliver a word from God, but if it comes true, you know it's from God. And over the last five years, God has given me a word, and not one time has it failed. Not one. So I, I, I'm stepping out and saying, I know what the Lord has shared with me, want to share it with you, and I hope it will mean something to you as well. So let's stand as we honor the Lord in the reading of his words, and we're going to focus on what God would have us to do this year. The answer is in this passage. I'm going to start with verses 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, I'm going to read all the way through 18, and then we're going to go back and look at the chapter because it really unpacks uh, the climactic verse, which is verse 18. Let's look at verse 13 and hear the words of the Lord echoed through Paul to the church at Corinth. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Verse 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of who? Woo! That just makes me want to shout there. But that's still not enough. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And now, what God wants us to know. So we fix our eyes on, excuse me, our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Would you pray with me? Father, make this known to us. Burn it in our hearts so that as we go through 2010, 2010, we will understand exactly what you would have us to do. You have given us a word from you, and now our responsibility is to act upon it, to receive it in faith, walk with it in faith, and live it out in faith for the glory of God. We do this today, Lord, because we want to see Jesus made famous because of the radical change he's done in us. So we give you glory. Forgive us, Lord, uh, Lord of our sins, so we might hear you clearly as we try to exalt the wondrous name of Jesus. We do this today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for sealing us, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. So you can be seated. Here is what I want you to know. This year, 2010, this is the year of eternal things. This is what God wants us to focus on, eternal things things. You see that in verse 18. Let's look at verse 18 because listen, this is it. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. And so here it is. My sisters and brothers, the best, the, 
that I can understand the Holy Spirit that is sealed and dwell within me, that's in you, is for us to focus on eternal things. That's what God wants us to do this year. When you, when you plan your calendar, when you're planning on what you're doing, when you set your priorities, it should be on eternal things. So what do I mean by eternal things? What, what, is it, what does it look like somebody who's living a life focused on eternal things? Well, in chapter 4, it gives us some marks. And I want to go through just two marks. Now, there's many of them. There's many of them that are deep. I'm just going to try and give us some simple face value ones and unpack those. But there are two marks. There are two marks of the eternally focused. Of a person who's eternally focused, two marks. You ready for them? I want you to write them down. I want you to pray through them. I want you to study this chapter, spend time in your quiet time in this chapter. Let God speak to you. Here it is, the first mark. The first mark, the eternally focused, openly live out faith. The first mark of someone who's eternally focused is that they openly live out faith. Look at verse 1, if you will, of chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Look at verse 2. Rather, we renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. Now look what it says. Here is living our faith out openly. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's what? Conscience in the sight of God. So what he's saying here is this, is that God wants us to be eternally focused, to not focus on what is temporary, focus on what is eternal, and for us to openly live out our faith in public view of all mankind. Now, the, the idea, the question behind this, why should I be so open? Why should I be so, and I'm quoting Jamie Rakel, I'm not asking you, I said this last week, don't be odd for God. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not gonna ask you to go get a picket sign and say, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, and he doesn't love you, bye, 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 right? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to walk around with a big Bible and somebody says something and you don't like it and you hit them, even though you want to. It makes a good object to throw at people, I promise you. But I'm not saying do that, okay? What I am saying is this, is that we're going to live our faith openly. My actions reflect it, my words reflect it, my attitudes reflect it. And yes, are we going to sin? Absolutely. But we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we correct that, and we keep on pressing on. So that's what it means to live out. So I'm not saying be odd for God, but, but you might be saying, well, John, why should we be so open? Why should we be so open? I mean, you might even ask this. I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot. John... Now faith is just personal. It's just personal. It's just between me and God, okay? Just don't be so pushy. Don't be pushy. Have you ever heard that? You probably heard somebody talk like that, but have you heard that? You have, you, you have heard somebody say, no, look, it's personal. It's between me and God. It's, it's private. It's, it's private. Don't be talking. It's just about me and God. Not about you, John. Not, it's not. It's not. I know what some of y'all thinking. If he just does not be quiet. Some, some of the, you know, and when I was a little kid and I would sit out here, I was thinking just, that man needs to shut up. Just shut. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Shut up. Just, I'm going to sleep. That's what some of you are thinking right now. No, I'm telling you. 
I promise that this is, some people really believe it's personal between them and God. And so you might say, well, John, it's personal. Okay, well, let's kind of analyze that. Well, John, if it's personal, and if it's just between God and I, why, what's this idea of openly living out faith? Well, I'll tell you the reason why we openly live out faith, because it's not about us. Hmm? Somebody didn't like that one. They just closed their eyes on me. Okay, look, I'm just telling you, it's not about us. That's why the idea is, it, it, the problem is with the question. The question is, why should I be so open? Uh, is it my faith personal? The problem is with the question saying, my faith. In fact, let me show you this. I, I love the, the message. The message is by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He was actually teaching through the book of Galatians. Uh, and I think it was to his church. He used to be a pastor at church. He was a Presbyterian minister. And he was teaching. And people were just like this. You know how some people are today? Just get it over with. Just get it over with, John. Get it over with. And, and so he was like, they're not getting the word of God. And so he went back to the original Greek and he said, I'm just going to rewrite the Bible. As I read it in the Greek, I'm just going to rewrite it. And that's what he did. And it kind of caught fire and then it, and it took on and then you got a publisher involved and they're like, oh, just instead of the New Testament, let's make the whole Bible. And then you got the message remix and you got the message this, you got the message that and message squared. And, well, anyway, and so I'm, I'm making up some of those. But anyway, it's, look what it says about in the message, which is a, again, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a loose translation, it's a paraphrase, he's trying to drive home a point. Look what he says in verse 5. It's going to be up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, remember, our message, I just want to make sure it's up there, is not about what? It's not about us. So when somebody says to me, John, my faith is personal, they don't get it. Look what it says. It's not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the master. We are all, excuse me, all we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. So when somebody says, it's my faith is personal, they got it wrong. It's, they're making their faith all about them, and the Bible says that faith is all about who? So I got that Hulk Hogan deal. Hulkamania. Y'all don't get, oh, never mind. All right, so like ripping it out. Woo! Say your prayers. Take your vitamins. Okay, all right. I was wondering if you're watching it. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Anyway, so I, I, I see this, and I, I see people say that, and it, and it just like, gets underneath me. Look, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit showed me. I'm studying this, and it said this. You're, you're right, John. It might be a personal decision, but it's not a secret decision. My faith in God is not a secret. God doesn't need any more secret agents. The quota has been filled. Word up. It's been filled. What God wants is people that will openly live out. And so this year, 2010, we're to focus on eternal things. If anything temporal takes precedence over eternal, then I hope the Holy Spirit reminds you of the words of 2 Corinthians. That we are to not focus on the temporary, but focus on the eternal. And that's what he wants. So what happens is it might be a personal decision, but it's not a secret decision. And in fact, we don't have to be fancy. We just have to be real. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. They're going to put it up here, at verse 2 in the message. Look what he says about this living 
uh, our faith openly. Look, look how Eugene, who's a wonderful, he, he went on to teach at Regent College, I believe in Vancouver, and, and just, just they wonder, he lives in Montana now and just writes, he's kind of retired, he's got bad knees, but he just, he, just, he just goes on and writes this. Look what he says. He says, we refuse to wear masks and play what? Man, that's living it out. That's living it out. I want you, and, and I want you to want for me to do this. I want to refuse to wear masks and play games. Look what, it, what he says. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. Well, I'm a Christian over here, but you know, at work I've got to be careful and, and i got to do this. Look, let me just tell you something. If, if you and I get fired because of our faith in Christ, don't you think God is big enough to provide? Now, I didn't say go be odd for God. I didn't say go get fired on purpose. I didn't say do all that. God's not looking for a bunch of crazies. He's looking for a bunch of saved people that will be bold. So what he's looking at here, so see this, look what it says. I, I love this. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. We don't manipulate God's word. In other words, we, we take a passage, make it mean what we want. Look what it says. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the what? That's my life. My, my, I want my life to be open. Well, some people say, well, John, you share too much. You say too much. You open up too much. There's a reason behind the madness. I understand. I understand the elevator in my mind, in my brain, doesn't make it all the way up. I am with you. I got a couple hits. It got lodged somewhere in between. It's still stuck. All right? It's still stuck somewhere. But the difference is, I do know this, is that I am going to be open about my faith. Keep everything we do and say out in the open. The whole truth on display. That's the key of the mark of focusing on eternal things. That the whole, do you see what happens? If, if I hedge and I, don't, and I don't live out my faith openly, then I've hedged on the truth. I'm not showing you the whole truth. Hey, let me ask you a question. If I told you, 95% of a statement was truth. If I, if I told you that, would you still consider it a truth or a lie? Why? Because it's not all truth. You might say, but John, it's only 5%. I just remind you this. I told my wife, when, I mean my wife, I told my daughter one time, I said, let me, she was like, John, Dad, I want to go see this movie. I'm going to see this movie. It's all right. They only used the Lord's names a couple times and they got all this going on and I want to see the movie too, honey, but I don't think it's right right now. I just, I'm not there. I'm, I don't have peace about it yet. What, Daddy? Daddy! Everybody's seen me. Okay. All right, honey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bake some cookies because you see everything as a food analogy. So we're going to bake some cookies. So we're going to take a little couple cookies out there and we get... Get what you want, you know, get something, Pillsbury, <laughs> get, you know, whatever you want. And, and so we, and we, we're baking some cookies. And, and it, okay, now, and now, Lauren, right before we put, right before we put them in, we're going to go outside and we're going to get some dog poop. Now, y'all act like y'all have never stepped in dog poop or smelled dog poop. So we're going to go get some dog poop. So to get a little dog poop and take the dog poop and we're going to mix it in the cookie. And we're not, just a little. We're not talking, we're talking sprinkle like pepper sprinkle. And we're going to mix it in the cookie. And then we're going to take the cookie, we're going to put it in the oven. 
and then it'll turn on, nice and hot, melted, put it out. All right, now let's see. How many want some of my cookies? Daddy, I'm not eating that cookie. Why? It's got dog poop in it. It's only a little. Well, if you wouldn't eat cookies with a little dog poop, why are you going to live for King Jesus and mix it with some poop? Is it just me? Some of y'all got a visual now. You'll never eat a cookie again. Good. That's the best way to diet. Just think about it being poop. Poop, poop. Okay, never mind. So uh, I'm just saying, if you think about it that way, so I tried to explain it. She was like, Dad, I got your point. I, I, I got it. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. If I told you 95% truth, or what if I told you 99.9% truth, but I hedged just a little bit, would it still be a lie? It's still a lie because it's the whole truth. So if I don't live my life openly for the Lord, if I am not being transparent for the Lord, then what I have communicated to the world is that Jesus is really not true. Because the last time I checked about truth, truth was all truth. And anything held back makes it less than truth. So in other words, I don't have to be fancy, I just have to be real. I just set forth, it's like verse 2 says, setting forth the truth plainly. So look what he says. He says this. Rather we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to see, who want to, can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. The whole truth means everything we do and say. Notice he, he, he put it in that, that way. I love the way we put it in. Everything we do, then what? Let's do it again. Everything we do, then what? Say. Some verses, our actions, then our words. Not our words, then our actions. Because actions speak volumes. And I like the way he put it in. All right, so, so some people say, well, why should it be so open? Well, uh, you know, it's the first reason it's not about us. But the second reason is we do it for the glory of God. In fact, let's go to the 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at verses uh, 13 and following. And we read this earlier. It is written, I believe... Therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit. That's another reason. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to what? That's another reason we live our faith openly. We live our faith openly for the glory of God. What it does is it shows, that it shows us uh, that He is our priority. That He is our priority. Look back at verse 1. Look at, back at verse 1. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this what? Ministry. Now, this is interesting. This ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, I'm going to show you the message uh, version. Again, it's a loose translation, a loose paraphrase, but uh, look, look what it says there in, in verse 1. It says, since God 
has so generously, I love this, let us what? In on what he is doing. Now, I put in there, the NIV calls this a what? When God lets us in on what he is doing, that is our what? Ministry. You got it. If you want to know your ministry, you take your spiritual gifts and what wrecks your heart, that wrecks God's heart, and when he shows you what he's doing, you take that, you throw it into that, into what God is doing, and he calls that our ministry. And that is why we live openly. That is why we share this. This is beautiful stuff. He says we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. So you see that. God's doing it so he should get the credit. That's why he gets all the glory. Because he's the one doing it. I'm not the one doing it. I am just doing what God is doing. I partner with him. He's the one who works through me and in me, works through us and in us, and therefore that's why he gets the glory. That's only fair. That's only, some of you have been in, in groups in school. Remember in high school, they would put you in groups? And, and, and I was one, uh, y'all wouldn't want me in your group. You want to know why? Just take a guess, a gander. I don't know what that word means, but um, it means guess. But it just sounds gander. Just take a gander. Just take a gander. Sounds so, like, uppity, snooty. Anyway, sorry, uh, I digress. And, and so I look at this, and I, I think about, what, what, in the, we're in those groups. We're in those groups. There's always one or two people who do what? You said it. Take a guess. All the what? I'm not one of those people. I'm one of those people that mooch off you. I sit back and I talk and I giggle and I just sign my name to the sheet. And how do you feel about me? Huh? Oh, you can't say that because you're in the church building? Is that what it is? I'll tell you what you think about me. Loser. Don't ever get in my group again. Mrs. Davis. Miss Davis, I gotta tell you something, Miss Davis. John over there, he ain't done nothing. He, he just sat there. I did all the work, I did all the study. He sat over there and he acted like he was texting, listening to you. He was over there texting the whole time. Texting to the girl on the other side that don't even like him. Wouldn't get anything done. I'd sit there and mooch off you all day long. But you would get mad, and the reason why you get mad, and justifiably so, you would get mad because you did all the work and I got some what? And that's not right. That's not right. It's the person who's doing the work should get the credit, and therefore God's doing the work, he should get the credit. So here what we understand to be eternally focused is this. The first mark of someone who's eternally focused is they openly live out their faith. Here's the second mark. Ready? Let's get this. The second mark, the eternally focused live in power. The eternally focused live in power. Now, I want to define power. It's got to be defined. Uh, having the Holy Spirit's power in our lives does not mean uh, that our lives will be easy. And it doesn't mean that my life, that it's going to make me beautiful. It's going to make all the focus on me. Just because we have the Holy Spirit's power does not mean that my life is going to be easy, uh, nor does it mean that my life is going to, it's going to make me something beautiful to the public. In fact, let's look at some verses. 
there to support that. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from who? God and not from us. Somebody who is eternally focused lives in power. And that power there is an all-surpassing power. That means it's, the power does not limit its, its power, its focus on me. It's all-surpassing. It's bigger than me. It's greater than me. It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. In, 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 in essence, God's power doesn't mean we will be beautiful, but that he will be beautiful. Uh, look what it says. I want to look at the message. He's going to throw up the message. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I, I love this the way they did in 7 and 8. Verse 7. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. Get that idea between Jesus saying in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Look what it says. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our what? Ordinary what? Do you see what he's saying? What's beautiful is the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for us and we've been freed eternally from the power of sin and that death has no hold on us because it didn't have a hold on Jesus. Yes, we go through the valley of death. Yes, unless Jesus comes back, we will all die, but it is a passage through to Jesus. It is not to our destruction. So the beauty is in the message and not the messenger. In other words, it, we're, we're unadorned clay pots. That's what gives me hope to get up here and preach. I don't have to be somebody special. I don't have to be the smartest. I don't have to be the brightest. I don't have to be the wealthiest. I don't have to have great pedigree and come from a family that's just all this and that. I don't have to have anything except receive the message of Jesus and God will use me. Look what it says. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with what? As it is, there's not much chance of that. I love what he says at the end. This, ooh, this will preach. Look at this. You know for yourselves. Y'all go ahead and read it. Huh? And I don't want to hear one amen. I don't want to hear one amen talking about my looks. I will pray against you. I'm kidding. You know for yourselves that we're not much. <laughs> Ricky's going down. Mm. Well, anyway, I, I sit there and look at that and I think, God, you are so right. In other words, power does not mean it'll make us attractive. Well, for example, today, if people that get popular, I don't understand it. Is it just me, fellas? I'm talking, ladies. I want you to, to hear me, but man, I'm appealing to us. Have you seen some of the men that are movie stars? And they've got all these girls looking at them. Is it just me or are the dudes ugly? Man, am I, am I lying? Because I know I could put a wig on you and a dress and you wouldn't look at them. 
just, I mean, when people get popular, all of a sudden they get beautiful. There are some people that, that popularity just can't help. They are ugly. There is nothing you can do about it. Oh, he is so good. Lady, you're not in love with his looks. You're in love with his money. I got, did you hear some people? Mm-hmm. I'm just telling the truth. It's like when they get popular, they get beautiful. You, for those of us that relive our high school days, you know what I'm talking about. There's some people that you've seen at reunions. Whew, getting old didn't help them. <laughs> Woo! I mean, they just got worse. And it was always the ones that were popular. Oh, he had the nicest hair. He has gone. Where did his hair go? That's not John. Oh, I mean, he's saluting people back here. He's growing a cul-de-sac. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. You know, people, they get, they get on YouTube. What's the lady from Britain? How many hits does she have? Is it like 32 million hit? I don't know what it is. Is it a lot of hits? I mean, she got so powerful, they, they did a makeover on her. Right? Because once you get, once you get popular, you got to be what? Yeah. That's what the world says. But you know what he says? He says that, that we, in that verse 7, I, I love what he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure. I, I love what my, my little, uh, little content note, excuse me, footnote at the bottom there, whatever it is, and they kind of, below the line, they just kind of explain this. What, whatever the, what the editor said this, it said, treasures were frequently concealed in clay jars, which had little value or beauty in themselves and did not attract attention. So what they would do, they didn't have banks like us, they would take, they would take their money and their most precious possessions or gold or whatever it was, and they would put it in these jars. And the jars would look old and run down and, and just nasty, and, and they, would, they would put them in their house. So when somebody broke in, they would look at the jar and say, there's nothing expensive in that. But little did they know, had they lifted the lid in the jar, that would have been the greatest of riches. Look, maybe you didn't hear that. Let me explain it to you a little more. Kenneth Chafin, no relation to Kevin Chafin, said this. He's a, he was a, he was a, um, a Presbyterian pastor out in Los Angeles. He said, who would think anything of value would be hidden in an inexpensive clay pot? He said, who would think anything? In other words, let me just put it to you this way. This is where the hope. We have this treasure in jars of clay. God has put his most precious message, Jesus Christ, in us. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we look like because the message is what's beautiful and, it, and, and it's not about us. Look, look, let me break it down for you this way. In other words, some people think, well, John, you just don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. I'm not qualified to carry a message. You don't know about me. I'm not walking right with God. I'm not close enough to God. I don't know what you know. I haven't been to school like you've been to, and I haven't done this, so I, I can't carry the message like you can. Oh, but wait. Just because you have chips in your life, does not disqualify you from carrying the beauty of Jesus. Look, 
I know a lot of us have been through the ringer. You, you ever seen some of those coffee cups, the ceramic ones they put in the dishwasher over and over and over? And what happens to them? The painting fades. It's chipped. It's been used. It's broken. Listen, a lot of us got chips in our life where we've been broken. Hello? A lot of us have chips where we feel like, well, I can't do it because there's, I've got problems or, or I, I've, been, I've, I've been broken too many times. Listen, it, what happens is the more you look invaluable to man, the more valuable you are to God because it makes him that much greater. So the more you and I have done that's been broken and against God and we're saying God can't use us, the more he can. Because remember, the most unlikely pot was always the one they hid the greatest treasure in. So if you're sitting out there today and you say, but John, I'm just not right. I just, you are the most qualified, not me. But John, you don't know my, you're the most qualified, not me. You're the most qualified to be eternally focused, not me. But John, you don't know where I'm at right now. You don't know the sin. You're the most qualified because you're the most unlikely. And that's how God, is that, did that just speak to anybody? Or is it just me? So you can sit there today and I can stand up here today and I can say, yeah, yeah, right on, right on. But God is saying, I'm putting my treasure in us. And he doesn't care how chipped we are and how broken we are and how many times we've been through the dishwasher, wrung out and left out. He says, I'll put my treasure in you. The only difference is who will see that. See, here's, here's what I love about it. Let's go, let's look at verse, let, let's look at verse 8 in, in the NIV. Let's look at verse 8. This is what I love about it. Remember, just because when God's power doesn't make me beautiful, but it also doesn't mean my circumstances are going to be great and we're done. We're going to look at this and we're done. This ought to speak to you. Look what it says there in, in verse 8. We are hard pressed on every what? Ooh. But not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted, but not what? Struck down, but not what? We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body so that death so then that death is at work in us but life is at work in you look at verse 8 i read that just so you could see it together look back at verse 8 just look at the bad things there remember just because we have god's power doesn't mean that life is going to be easy it doesn't mean that it changes the circumstances. That's what the world does. When the, when the world gives you power, you live ease. When God gives you power, you're going to go through it. Look what verse 8 says. We are hard-pressed, perplexed. Verse 9, persecuted, struck down. If you look just at those words and you read just those words, it would be demoralizing devastating, it would make you want to quit. But let me tell you something.
don't stop with just the first part of the sentence. Huh? Don't stop. See, with God, don't stop with the first part of the sentence. The first part of the sentence is this. God, this is how you made me, and this is my limitations, so therefore I'm not going to do it. God, I'm in my situation right now, and these are my circumstances. They're really bad, so therefore I can't do it. Oh, God, but look at, my, look at where I'm at, God. You know what I don't have, so I can't do it. Don't stop halfway in the sentence. Look at verse 8. Here's the whole sentence. We are hard-pressed on every side. Then what does it say? See the celebration? The celebration in the midst of trial. That is why eternal things are so important. So I'll leave you with this today. I'll leave you this, this day. The celebration is, is like Kenneth Chapin said, the celebration is, is still functioning. When you read those verses, there's still a celebration even in the midst of trial. I, some of you uh, have lost your uncles, and, and I, my, I got a phone call this week from my mom, and she was devastated. My uncle, her brother, is, is dying right now as we speak. And uh, they've asked me to do the funeral a long time ago. And, and so, yes, and I, and I remember calling him up this week, and it was, it was so hard for me. He's, he's elderly, and his, his mind is, is going. His one lungs collapsed, and they've got him on morphine. You know the drill. And so I remember talking to him on the phone, and he was, he was talking to him on the phone, and I remember saying to my Uncle Bob, I said, Uncle Bob, I said, I love you. And I remember him saying he loved me, and I about burst in, it was all I could do to get off the phone. I, I just about burst into tears, and I remember getting off the phone, my wife was looking at me, and I remember my kids looking at me, and I looked at her and I said, I feel like I've just said goodbye to my uncle. It was devastating me inside. And then I was talking to my cousin, um, he has two children that are living, one that has died. I actually officiated her funeral. She died of cancer, my cousin. And, 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 uh, and I remember he, I was talking to his other daughter, and I was talking to her, and she said, John, he's got these, or my mom was telling me, he's got these two pictures of Jesus. And as he's, as he's struggling, he's looking at Jesus. He might be being crushed, but he's not in despair. And so what I want to tell you today is this, is that God, amidst all the things the world will give us, if we'll focus on eternal things, then there's more to the sentence. There's more to our chips in these clay pots. There's more to my inadequacies. There's more to it because inside... God has given us the very precious message of Jesus and given us the Holy Spirit. So I, I ask you today, ask you today, will you make this commitment? And some of you have already made it, and I ask you to renew it. It's 2010. It's the first one out the gate. This is it. This is the pinnacle of worship. The commitment today is this. I want to ask you to make this commitment to not hold anything back. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Look what it says in the message. And I end with this. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. If somebody doesn't get the message of Jesus this year, if God gives us tomorrow, 
It's not because we didn't hold back. Because the hold back would not be the whole truth. Because remember, if you're going to focus on eternal things, you're going to have to live openly and live in power. Those are two marks to be eternally focused. So I'm going to ask you today, will you not hold anything back? And you might even want to say, well, maybe, I, maybe you need to just deal with God and say, God, I've been holding back in certain ways. Or maybe you need to ask the Lord, am I holding back in any way? Am I, have I held back? Listen, I want to challenge you today. Today, let this be a spiritual mile marker in your life where today you made a decision not to hold anything back. I'm talking to believers and people who are not believers. If you're not a believer, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To focus on eternal things, you've got to go through Jesus and let him captivate your heart. You cannot will yourself to do it. You can't make yourself to do it. That's why he gives us power, because we don't have the power to do it ourselves. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and the only way to get to God is to put our faith and trust in Jesus and live for him. That's repentance. That's trusting, is living a life of repentance. Trust and repentance. That's salvation. And if you are a believer, are you holding back? I'm asking you. But John, you don't understand my family situation. Finish the sentence. But John, you don't understand my financial. Finish the sentence. But John, I don't know what to. Finish the sentence. Don't tell me about your chips. Tell me about your treasure. Because that's where the real value lies. Father, I pray today. If there's anyone in this room who wants to make the commitment not to hold anything back, if, if God, if you've spoken to them and they're physically able, I pray they'll come and kneel and commit to you today and pray to you today and say, today, right now, God, I commit not to hold anything back. I commit to be eternally focused, to give people the whole truth. And Lord, if you're speaking to people, they can get up right now. They don't have to wait till I'm done praying. They can come right now. To be eternally focused, God, means to live a life Wholly devoted to you. I will not hold anything back. God, I commit to you today in front of all these believers. I'm praying out loud so they can hear. You already know my heart. I commit not to hold anything back to you, Lord. Nothing. If that means you tell me to stay in places, I don't want to stay. If that means you tell me to go to places, I don't want to go. If that means you tell me to give what I don't want to give, God, I commit not to hold anything back and to do everything I can for your glory. Who today in this room will say that, Lord? To be eternally focused. That is my prayer. You told us us to be focused on eternal things, Lord. The greatest way to produce fruit. And so my prayers today, who in this room will give their life to Jesus? And Lord, if they give their life, they'll make it public because remember, they live out their faith openly. And they will let us know and they will begin to being discipled. They will come and tell us. They'll let us know in the offering plate. Somehow, someway, they'll let us know. And Lord, the people that are down front praying, Lord, I, I pray for them right now as they commit to not hold anything back for you. That means you'll take them places they have no idea that they're going to go. They might go through some crushing times, but they will not be stopped. They might go through some confusing times, but they will not give in. Father, they might go through some times where there is no energy, but they will not give up. Because we 
have a treasure. And the weaker we get, the greater you are. That is our prayer today. We worship you in Jesus' name.